Hello, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca F., as in Frank, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Connecticut. Today is Tuesday, December 1st, 2020, and this is our 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we are in Chapter 2, There is a Solution, on page 20. We will be reading and commenting on the third paragraph on page 20, which begins with how many times and ends with all lit up again. Today's readers are Jennifer H., Sam S., Rick J., Crystal P., and Katie G. The share ID numbers for yesterday, Monday, November 30th, 2020, are 15,882 for the 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting, that's 15882, and 15,883 for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time meeting, that's 15883. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Jennifer H. to read the OA 12 steps. Good morning. This is Jennifer H. in Virginia, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 
10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer H. from Virginia. I will now ask Sam S. to read the OA 12 Traditions. Good morning, Rebecca. Thanks for leading. This is Sam S. Compulsive Overeater in Rhode Island. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group, conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OAs as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Pat. Thank you, Sam S. from Rhode Island. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Um, it just occurred to me that I don't think we 
mentioned that this first hour is a recorded meeting. Uh, today we resume our study of the big book and we are in chapter two. There is a solution on page 20. We will be reading and commenting on the third paragraph on page 20, which begins with how many times and ends with all lit up again. I will now ask Rick J to go ahead and read that for us. Good morning, Rebecca. This is Rick J. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Cary, North Carolina, um, and I'm very grateful to be on the line this morning. How many times people have said to us, I can take it or leave it alone. Why can't he? Why don't you drink like a gentleman or quit? That fella can't handle his liquor. Why don't you try beer and wine? Lay off the hard stuff. His willpower must be weak. He would stop if he wanted to. She's such a sweet girl, I think he'd stop for her sake. The doctor told him that if he ever drank again, it would kill him, but there he is, all lit up again. Um, when I read this paragraph, the first thing that pops into to my mind is these people aren't powerless over food. And, you know, and it's so easy to judge someone that you don't understand. And, you know, and I've certainly done that to myself. Um, and the most important thing that I need to know is that I'm powerless over food, you know, that my life is unmanageable and that um, the only way for me to uh, find recovery is to do the actions in this book, you know, and to have a connection with the higher power. And, you know, thinking back with, uh, you know, with my... Um, connection with with um overeating and and the conflicts that um that I've had with them and the interactions I've had with different people you know one of the ones that really pops out in my mind is um you know at Thanksgiving years ago when uh you know I was at my parents house and I um I ate all the leftovers of of a big Thanksgiving meal <laughs> every single bit of all it was left over I ate in about a little less than an hour I just went on this this binge and ate all the leftovers my mom had planned to, to be serving all her guests for the next couple of days and she was not happy and you know she was really upset and confused and uh, you know my doctor had called me um, a ticking time bomb you know I was 60 pounds overweight um, my um, my blood pressure was was high. My cholesterol was up around 400. My, um, you know, I was binge exercising. You know, I was a mess. And when he called me a ticking time bomb, my uh, my son overheard this conversation when I was telling my wife about that. And uh, you know, and he started crying. And and I remember getting down on his level and just saying, you know, and promising him that I would never eat like this again and uh, because he had seen me eating this buttered popcorn and he wanted to know if my doctor knew if I was eating it and, um, and I, I promised him and I put him to bed and uh, then uh, an hour later he caught me uh, eating Skittles <laughs> you know and um, you know I I'm powerless I'm powerless and I have this opportunity of recovery and transformation by working the steps. 
you know, regardless of what, you know, people uh, think or, you know, they don't have to understand about being powerless as I do. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rick J. from North Carolina. Now, although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your sharing to every third day in order that others might share their experience too. So if you would like to share on the third paragraph on page 20 in the big book, how many times through All Lit Up Again, please press star one to unmute and state your first name and last initial. Maureen? Oh, I didn't catch that. Could you say your name again? Maureen. Maureen. Katie G. from Boston. Katie F. Wait one second. I've got Katie F. and then someone Katie B. G. I have Katie G. and Katie F. Oh, Katie B. Someone Lynn B. F. Just a minute, Lynn. Who was with the V? Katie. Another Katie. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh my I goodness. <laughs> I couldn't believe my own ears. And then was it Lynn? Yeah. And the last Lynn initial? F. Lynn F as in Frank. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Devorah S in New Jersey. Devorah S. Yeah. Beth W. Sandra Beth B. W. Wait one second. Was that Sandra B? Christina yeah. J. Okay, and I think I should stop there at Christina J. I'll tell you who I have. Maureen, I didn't catch your initial. You'll let us know. Katie G, Katie F, Katie V, Lynn F, Devorah S, Beth W, Sandra B, and Christina J. Maureen, you're up. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, Maureen. Give us your first initial of your last name, and then you can share. Sorry, my name is Maureen L. I never share on this line, although I listen. So thank you for all of those of you who do. Um, and you know, let me I just interrupt for a second. Can yeah. you give us where you're from, too? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm from Acton, Massachusetts. Massachusetts, great. Go right ahead. Sorry, as you can tell, I'm a novice sharer. Um, but, I, you know, thank you for all of you who've shared for all these years. I do tune in quite often, and I'm so grateful for you, for uh, everyone's collective service. But I just wanted to share today on this positive because it, it confounds me that we don't get this. As, like, if someone has alcohol or drugs as a problem, we don't tell them at the holidays, you know, just have a little bit, just take a hit, you know, what's, What's wrong? I don't understand why you just can't like indulge or clearly if you don't do a little bit of your drug of alcohol or your hard drug around the holidays or at a special occasion, then you can't, if you can't do that in moderation, then you're bound to fail. But somehow with food, even though the country is like 60% obese and that people are literally dying of this disease every single day throughout the country and medical professionals and others, will say, well, you have to practice moderation if you want to be successful over the long term. And that just isn't the truth. And those of us who know that there are certain things that we can't put in our bodies or else our brains will light up like Christmas trees, it's not a thing of moderation at that point. Like I can't have certain substances, certain sugar foods, things are in sugar, for example. If I eat them, I will light up like a tree and I will not get, I will not be able to do anything else in my life 
other than chase that hit. But when I don't, and I haven't for years, even those particular substances, then I have peace. Then I can be neutral around that substance. I can bake things for my children that they can enjoy because their brains are better equipped to handle those substances than mine are. I could be in a holiday gathering and see them as pretty decorations that I don't have to eat, thank God. And I could live my life that doesn't involve chasing them. So I'm so grateful to know that certain things I just can't do. And I'm never going to be able to do it because I'm never going to be able to make a responsible choice around certain food products. I never, ever can make a sane decision around those. And so I can give it to God and I could succumb to the fellowship and I could live my life one day at a time, not eating those. And as a result of that, the rest of my life in every dimension, my marriage, my motherhood, my work life, my relationship with my peers, everything is better because I am open to life and not chasing my next hit. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Maureen L. from Massachusetts. Katie G. Hi, Rebecca. Good morning. This is Katie G., also from Massachusetts, recovered compulsive eater. So this paragraph above tells me they're going to answer such questions specifically right and now it's going into some points they want to talk about and why do they want to tell us about these points because there is a lot of misunderstanding and frankly there's a lot of misunderstanding within me i always thought if somebody was fat that that meant that they were a compulsive eater just like me but that's not true and our book is going to tell us that there are two components to being a compulsive eater. It is an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. And it didn't matter that my brother told me I looked like I was dying from cancer. And it didn't matter that my doctor told me that I was overweight and very sick. It didn't matter. Why? Because this is not a moral issue. It doesn't matter if you put my children in front of me. If I am activated and disconnected from God, I will hand my children to you so that I can get my sense of ease and comfort. And the problem is the reason why putting the food down only is a problem, right? Because food has been my solution. So I should just put it down and I should be abstinent. Here's how abstinence feels. I do feel better. I feel anger better. I feel rage better. I feel trepidation better. I feel fear better. I feel panic attacks better, right? And so what I love about this book is Doc Op tells me what my problem is right and now i'm like already okay we did bill right so now i'm ready there is a solution it's still talking about the problem you know and sometimes you know i i was like step one is so easy i'm just gonna rush through it but we gotta slow down step one is a dark place i have no power no choice what is a drug of choice When I put food into my body, it sets up an uncontrollable craving for more, and I'm plowing through the world to get more. But the problem is I have an obsession of the mind, and if it's not an obsession of the mind about food, it's about me, my favorite topic, right? Me, 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 and how you're going to fix me and, and why you're wrong and all that stuff. And thank God 
thank God to all of you that I can take a seat in Overeaters Anonymous today and say I'm recovered, which means that for today, I know I have a disease. I, it is not a moral issue, but I have to continue. It doesn't let me off the hook. And also, being at step 12 and getting recovered, guess what it means? There's more work to do, right? And it's not just sponsoring. It's continuing my own work and recognizing I am not normal. This is not get normal anonymous. This is about saying, okay, I'm here. I'm taking my seat with all of you, thank God, and I need to continue to surrender, stay abstinent, most importantly, surrender, and let God in through these 12 steps. And with that, I do pass. Thank you. Thank you, Katie G. from Massachusetts. Katie F. Good morning, Rebecca. This is Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater. And as I listen to those those things that, you know, the reasons that a person should want to stop, you know, in this case, drinking, and, you know, how obvious it is to everyone around them, I was just struck with with these memories of the way that I ate and... In particular, I was at a, um, when I was in my early 20s, I was at a congressional reception, which I worked for a trade association. And so there were congressmen there. And then our, our, the trade that I worked for was can manufacturers. And so there was all these, you know, important people from that industry. And, and I looked over and there was this man who was just stumbling, just hanging on to the bar. And someone whispered to me, he's an alcoholic. And I just thought, you know, and I just guffawed at him, like, how could he be that dumb, you know, to, um, to drink like that in this, you know, lovely setting? Well, I proceeded to binge. And I acted like no one could see me, like I was invisible. And that went on for, you know, seven or eight more years of me thinking that I was invisible when I was binging in front of people. And I just can't imagine what they may have been thinking. And, you know, great, gratefully, I'm not so self-centered that I think that, you know, 30-some years later, they're still thinking about that. But, you know, that's what it would look like for me. If I were to pick the food back up, I would get into this zone of eating and thinking that I am invisible and that I'm only affecting myself. I'm not hurting anyone else. And I would be so checked out. And, you know, there, as others have shared, just because someone is fat, especially in this country, doesn't mean they have that blind mental drive to just eat and eat and eat and with no uh, ability to stop regardless of how full they are or um, regardless of whether the food was meant for someone else or whatever or stealing food. I stole food from a young age. And just all those things I did that are so socially not acceptable, and it had it. There was no reasoning with me, and I have to remember that that that's what's waiting for me. That it's not just oh well, it's Christmas. I want to have you know so and so's special dish they prepared for me. That would be it. It just would never be that way. And you know I'm just so grateful that I don't have to try to fit in and eat like everyone else because it will not ever happen. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Katie F. from Virginia. Katie V. and where you're from would be great. Thanks. 
Hi, good morning. This is Katie V in Brooklyn, New York. Um, super happy to be leading up the Katie caboose. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for sharing and doing service on this line today. Um, yeah, I love this paragraph because uh, how many times have I heard this? You know, exactly what the book says. And the worst part was that I believed it. And even in the rooms of OA, when I came, when I first got here, I thought my willpower is weak. I was treating it like a diet. Every three or four days, I would binge. And um, and I, I thought, what is wrong with me that I can't get this? And um, And it wasn't, I have a disease. You know, it was still about me. It was still about my willpower is weak. I could stop if I wanted to. You know, I... I was still playing God. It was still my will. And I was just like, yeah, God doesn't care. God, God's not interested in my food. You know, when I, when I pick up my, I would call my sponsor after I would. And, and she would say, where's God, where's prayer in this? And I'm like, well, you know, I didn't think about it. Didn't think about it. That's my solution. I didn't even know. And it wasn't until I read the doctor's opinion and it went through it paragraph by paragraph that I said, oh, I'm totally screwed because finally it clicked. It wasn't my willpower. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything. It wasn't a moral issue. It wasn't a failing of mine. And I kept thinking about all the times that I had a doctor's like diagnosis. Like when I was 16, like I was pre-diabetic. Where was my next stop after that doctor's appointment? I went straight to McDonald's and shoved like five breakfast sandwiches in my mouth. Um, I was told I was going to die when I was 14. I was going to die by the time I was 22 if I didn't change my lifestyle. Didn't change my lifestyle? Hell, I gained 100 more pounds. And, uh, and I sit here today, 24, not dead, and with all of you. And I am so grateful because I was carrying this on my back like I had been failing all along. And now I know I have a disease, there is a solution, and I get to be here. So thank you. I pass. Thank you, Katie V. from New York. Lynn F. Good morning. This is Lynn F. Recovered in Pennsylvania. Thank you all. Is it um, S oh. as in Sam or F as in Franklin? I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm Lynn F., like Frank, Recovered in Pennsylvania. Oh, I did get that right. Okay. I thought I heard yep. the other. Thank you. Sorry. Thank in you. Pennsylvania. Go ahead. All right. So this paragraph, what does this mean to me? And when uh, it was read this morning, um, the the image came to me of all the different things people said to me as um, an overweight young lady and an overweight child and an overweight um, human, you know, that um, and all of the shame that also ensued from yo-yo dieting and binging all those years, you know, so things like oh, just come to exercise class with me or your stomach got really big since the last family picnic. Um, You know, like these things, you would be so pretty if, you know, from relatives. And um, I grew up in a band with a band of compulsive overeaters and alcoholics. So everyone had their thing. They were just functional and did it pretty, you know, and um, I guess I didn't. I don't know. So the idea that there he is, all lit up again, translates to me, there she is, she put all the weight back on again, and then some, or she's going back up the scale, and then some. 
And today, I don't have to live like that any longer. And I didn't know what was wrong with me. You know, I, I didn't know why I couldn't get the pain way program and why the pain way didn't work for me and the exertion that went on all the different uh, varieties of diets that I tried through the years, including, you know, don't eat anything except fruit till noon diet. Um, so today, you know, through the grace of God, through a whole bunch of circumstances, God lent himself to orchestrate the perfect storm to get me in this room of Overeaters Anonymous. And just a brief overview, I did come in in November one year, and when I heard what you guys did, I ran for the hills. There was no way I was giving up the holidays, and I'll air quote the holidays, because the holidays for me started with um, the leftover Halloween food and went right through uh, maybe before the Valentine candy hit the shelves. That was my holidays. It was a binge season. It wasn't Aunt Sally's remarkable dish. It was ugly, and it was, um, you know, all wrapped up in pretty bows and colors. So, you know, today I can do it differently. Today with recovery, I can uh, eat just like a normal person today, you know, because I have a weight and measured food plan. I have a normal body size. I don't look at it like the holidays as the binge season. I look at, you know, how can I give? What can I do? How can I greet my fellows? How can I wish others a good holiday season or uh, reach out to friends and family I haven't seen over the year? So today I do it differently, and I'm grateful to be here with you all. Thanks. Thank you, Lynn S., as in fellowship from Pennsylvania. Devorah S as in Sam. Hey, good morning, Rebecca. Thank you, and good morning, everyone. My name is Devorah S., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey. So grateful to be here and hear you all. Such powerful messages. And, um, you know, this paragraph really talks to me. And, you know, being a child growing up with this disease and not able to stop and wanting to stop, it speaks to me so much. But there was one thing that I heard a lot was, do it now when you're young. You know, just get it over with when you're young. That's when you should, that's, that's when to do it. Because later it gets just harder and harder. And, um, and, you know, as I was getting older and older, I was getting more and more afraid because time was passing away and I didn't get this thing. It was, the time was slipping away and I was still, um, obese, and I couldn't stop eating, and I was doomed um, until, I got, until I came in. I walked into these rooms and started hearing the messages. And let me tell you, um, not so young anymore, but you know what? I ha- I'm living in the solution, and I'm so grateful um, because today I know who I am. You know, I have a twofold disease. I always thought it was a, I always thought it was a moral issue. I, too, was just always thought that, you know, there's something wrong with me. Where's my willpower? How come? Blah, blah, blah. All these questions. And I just couldn't. I, I didn't know the answer until I came here um, 20 years ago. And, and thank you, God. Each day, it's a day. It's a miracle. I'm not eating like that anymore. 
and I'm not, and I'm not, and I don't want to eat, but instead I want to, I want to be available. I want to live. I want to get close to God, continue to get close to God, keep growing in my relationship with God and with others around me. Um, what a gift that is um, from just putting down the food and getting abstinent and being powerless, you know, and just surrendering. I get so much more. What a miracle that is. I'm so grateful to have that opportunity every single day, you know, and, and what this teaches me as well is that no judgment towards other people. I don't know what other people have when I see other people. Not everybody who's eating, who's heavy, like was said, is a compulsive overeater who has this thing, you know. So bless them, change me. And all I can be is a work my program because there's always, there's always someone asking, like, what do you do? I notice you eat a certain way. You don't know what sparks of um, what I can, what seeds I can plant um, in someone's life where they can come back to me and say, you know, I remember we had a discussion. We spoke about something. You know, can we talk a little bit further? So, you know, just do, keeping my, you know, eyes on my own plate, as they say, and trudging along and working this program, um, I get to um, to live a free life and really really grateful for this opportunity. Each day is another day, an opportunity where I can work this program and, um, and, and get close to God. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Deborah S. from New Jersey. Um, before Beth W. shares, in case you got on the line late, I thought I would just remind you, we're sharing on the third paragraph on page 20 in the big book, how many times through all lit up again. Beth W. Thank you so much for calling on me. My name is Beth W. And I am a recovering compulsive overeater from North Dakota. And I had a plan of what I was going to say. And while I was waiting, I got a call that um, my uh, former husband's dad just died in the night from COVID. And um, so I'm a little off, um, but I want to share. Because I think about these things. I remember when I was maybe about 12 years old, I was sitting on the floor of my parents' living room and I'm the youngest of five kids and I had a box of chocolates in front of me on the coffee table and I was sitting there like bellied up to the coffee table, one after another after another until my brother Stan, who was about nine years older than me said, don't you think you've had enough of those? And it was Christmas. And I remember getting so angry and uh, storming off to my bedroom and getting in my bed, crying and crying and crying, and my brother finally coming in, and and, uh, he was a college student by then, and saying how, you know, he was really sorry. I said, you ruined my Christmas. That's how important the chocolate was to me. It wasn't the people in the room. It wasn't anybody around me. It was... He ruined Christmas by telling me I should stop eating. That, that kind of behavior of mine, not necessarily what anybody else had done in my life, continued for 40 more years. Um, and I still struggle. Um, I, I'm abstinent. I'm working my steps, and I'm grateful. Um, working my steps again, and I, I know that a spiritual awakening is happening or will happen, and I... Um, and I'm just, 
I just don't want to die from this disease. I, I know that my, my life and my health is so much better now than it ever has been. Um, and I can't just have a little. Um, I, I just can't. I, that He could stop if he wanted to. I can't stop. I don't know how to do that. Um, and so as long as, there's, as long as I don't let any into my body, um, I can't have that twist of the mind if the allergy of the body is not activated. So for today, I will uh, grieve and I will cry and I will work and I won't eat about it. And for that, I'm grateful. I'll pass. Thank you, Beth W. from North Dakota. Sandra B. Good morning. This is Sandra B. from Houston, Texas. So when I, I read this paragraph, the thing that comes to my mind is how I take something um, that will ask simple questions and it'll go a hundred miles an hour in my head. You know, why doesn't she stop? Why doesn't she just quit? Why doesn't she slow down? It's just, I hear this and I don't hear one small suggestion. I hear a million suggestions, a million things that I should do in my, and in my head, I'm trying to grasp a hold of this. Um, and that turns into from something about slowing down um, on my eating, um, backing down or, or portion control. And then it turns into why can't I do this? And then um, there's something wrong with me. Um, it just, it, it'll go and go and go. And it's before you know it, my mind is just racing and that's, it, it has always been me to just take my own, whatever small little um, suggestion was giving, just to run with it and, and just break it into a million pieces. And now, being in program, you know, it, it's so different. It is so different. I don't feel so weirded out. I don't feel like I'm just, I can't control anything because I can't. I really can't. It's my higher power that controls it for me. It's my higher power that, that helps me, that slows down my mind, that says I can do anything. And I am doing, well, the one thing that I've um, wanted for forever and eternity is to have some peace in my mind. And it's not about the food because I always thought it was about the food, but it's not about the food. It's having that peace and joy and my mind is calm and I'm not racing a million thoughts about how I should control things or how I should do things. There's a sense of calmness. There's a sense of peace. And there's that sense that there's a net, and it's his hand that will catch me if I fall. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sandra B. from Texas. We're going to have Christina J., and then I'll have room for four more people to share. Christina J. Good morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. Christina J. from the state of Washington this morning. Uh, recovered for today. Uh, love all the shares. Hitting on so many wonderful points. Um, and I can relate to all of them. I had a wooden leg with a hole in it from the time I was born until my probably late 30s, 36, 37. And in between there was diet after diet after diet after diet because 5 to 10 pounds was an incredible shame for me. 
um, I don't know about others that live in Southern California, but I lived in Southern California, and I was pursuing an entertainment career, and I needed to be thin. I mean, I needed to be thin, or I couldn't be accepted, and I couldn't be make that stardom I was chasing. So it was diet after diet, and no one really ever saw me until that 36, 37 range uh, gained a lot of weight. But to me, I, I would hide in huge clothes over 5 and 10 pounds. And when it got to 20... I became I started to become miserable and I started going on starvation routines and all this. And I did try all these things. I tried uh brown sugar and beet sugar thinking well it's not white sugar. I figured if I put the sugar and the white flour and the things down that would cause me cravings that um and all these diets that I had those things down but I still had horrific cravings. Um so and things people said to me no one really said anything to me until that 36 on range when I was still married to my first husband. And one of the most brutal things he said to me, I was out on my ellipt- uh, my uh, treadmill working out in the morning. He comes out, I was in the garage, and he says, why don't you take your fat ass and go back in the house? And I tell you, I wasn't even that fat. I mean, I was, I wouldn't even call myself fat, but I hung my head, tail between my legs, and I crawled back into the house. I didn't have the backbone at that time to stand up to such a rude comment. Did that man care about me? I have no idea. It hurt. Um, He also said, hey, what are those big round things on the side of your thighs, you know, that are growing? And that was horrible for me. We were on a wonderful camping trip. Did it stop me? Did these comments stop me? No, they made me want to eat more because they made me irritable, restless, discontent, pissed off, sad, lonely, desperate, and I remember when the gay neighbor said to me, um, you have such a womanly butt. <laughs> and I, he, I think he meant it as a compliment, but I took it as a horrific thing because, you know, I wanted a skinny, I wanted a skinny backside and skinny bird legs because that's what my husband liked. And I thought that if I could get that, that I'd finally get love from him. So none of these, none of these comments worked. I didn't get a lot of them, but I said them to myself. Uh, why can't I take it or leave it alone? You know, I can't drink. I can't eat like a lady. Um, it was all this stuff, you know. I, the, 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 the little stuff led to the big stuff. So the little stuff led to the hard stuff. And my willpower is weak. It is weak around this um, obsession right. of the mind and allergy of the body. But I've got something today that um, helps me live a life that is free from the allergy, and I'm changing Second by second, with God's power in my life, I had to buy a car this weekend, a used car. And the lady said to me, I'll finish up with this. This is the miracle here. The lady said to me, can I be your soul sister? You're the kind of woman I want to be. And that was huge, huge. So the miracles happen every day once you get on the road. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Christina Day from Washington. Okay, if you haven't shared on A Vision for You on Friday or Monday and would like to share on the third paragraph on page 20 in the big book, how many times through all it up again, I could take four names. Judy K. Ross M. Esther Larry K. Ross M. I heard Judy K. Ross M. Was there Esther S. maybe? Yes. And who is the fourth? Kim D. Okay, I I may not have gotten you all in order, but that's what I'm going to, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Judy K, Russ M, Esther F, and Kim G. Judy K, go right ahead and give us where you're from. 
Thank you. This is Judy Kay from Cary, North Carolina. May I be heard? Yes, I hear you, Judy Kay. Go right ahead. Okay, thank you. Oh, my goodness. Every time I read this paragraph, every time I work on this paragraph, <clears throat> it throws me back to the times when what other people thought were what made me crazy. It was so important to me, and yet I wanted to throw away all of their judgments and condemnations. And later on we'll read, and, you know, um, that families, families are not going to be helping somebody who's this sick by giving them com comments like you see right here. Being the youngest of five children with brothers who were old enough to be my parents, going to family functions, I would be the excited one. Why? That's when I get my chocolate fix. That's when all of those those foods of my obsession were, were right, laid out right in front of me. And I have a niece who's close in age to me. And when we would go to her home, when I was in my 20s and 30s, we were very close. And when I would go to her home, I'd be so excited because those foods would be there. And I would hear the wor words like, are you going to be good? Eating became a moral issue, and I decided <clears throat> to try to, you know, over the years, to try to block out everyone else's opinions and live in maybe perhaps um, fat serenity, which never really happens. We're never really serene um, because we're still we're still in the in the throes of those those judgments. Not until recent years coming to Vision for You, have I been able to recognize the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind and find the ability to find food neutrality. It's just amazing. I remember those days when I had gone to pay and weigh and took off all my weight because then I was an achiever. And when I put weight back on, somebody who I'd see at most of these family functions coming over to me and saying, I can't believe you put your weight back on again, all that weight. Oh, the shaming and the blaming. And um, I find it finally took me all these years, I'm in my 70s now, to recognize that this allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind uh, needed to be dealt with on a physical level and more importantly on the emotional and spiritual level. I could only get true recovery right. with a recovered sponsor. Um, so anybody, anybody who's struggling now, just stick with it with a recovered sponsor and work these steps because they work. Thank you. Thank you, Judy Kay from North Carolina. Russ M. Good morning. Back to Russ M. Recover Compulsive Overeater and PA here. So when I read this uh, this paragraph, I see frothy emotional appeal. And, you know, I didn't even know that as a, as a kid and going out through my life. I just, you know, just push away from the table. You know, uh, work out more or, you know, uh, 
whatever else. You know, it's going to kill you. I had, I had a gym teacher in front of the whole class said to me, look, if you don't, if you don't get a handle on your weight, you're going to die by the time you're 21. That didn't do anything because this thing is so deep. You know, I, I didn't understand it. The person struggling with it. I'm sure a lot of us don't, don't have a real grasp on it when, when we're going through it. Like we can't help ourselves. We can't help ourselves because it's so deeply ingrained and that, you know, the obsession and the allergy makes you cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, makes you nuts. And, you know, that, that uh, she's a sweet girl or, you know, why does he drink like a gentleman? You know, I stole from my kids, my children. I stole communion money from them because I had to get the hit. They're gift money. You know, who does that? It's deep. People that don't have this disease don't understand it. But it doesn't exonerate me from responsibility. It doesn't make it okay. And there is hope because of this program that we have a chance to get it right. That we're not owned by this obsession and the craziness and emotion and life in general. You know, just coping with life. You know, the best thing ever happened to me is that I lost my business, almost lost my family, and I, 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 I was spiritually bankrupt. And my wife was leaving me because then I had to figure it out. I had to lay in. I had nothing else but God. Through this program, I, I, I've been restored. So my point is people don't understand what we go through. They look at us like we're, we're um, meds and meds. We're goofy, you know, because we have to be particular about our food. But that's the way we're built. That's the way we have to live if we want to be free. So that's what this paragraph did for me. When I read this, this is what I say, you know. So, you know, have hope. Do work the steps and don't argue. Just do what you're told and you'll you'll get free. We all can do it. You all have a good day. Love you. Love you too, Russ M. from Pennsylvania. Thanks. Esther F. Good morning. This is Esther F. I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I don't usually share, but this has been going through my head all morning as I've been listening to everybody share. And I think back to when I was a child, I had this little grandmother. And she, you, when you picture a little grandmother, she was, I never pictured her. She wasn't an old little grandmother. She was a fashion buyer. And she would go to New York to all the houses and stuff. So she would I guess maybe compare me to the people that she saw when she was looking for fashion. She would say things to me like, you have such a pretty face. Or if you would only lose weight, you would be a long-stemmed rose. And those things, of course, used to bother me. But it didn't bother me enough to stop, so I thought. And then as time went on, I would continue to hear these things from people. I even, my dad actually even told me back then that he would give me $500 if I would lose X amount of, of weight to go and buy a wardrobe, which I did. I lost the weight, I bought the wardrobe, and then I turned around and gained it all back. So that wasn't any good either. I never could understand, I never could understand how come I couldn't be like all of my friends. I knew there was something different about me, but I really didn't know what it was. You know, um, I didn't know what I didn't know. And um, I think it was definitely a miracle when I came 
after probably 40 years of, of this awful, terrible disease, I found out what I had. And, um, you know, even though I'm recovered today, I have to say that what, you know, all these things that people said to me, they still run through my head when it comes to my daughter, who is a little overweight. I don't say these things out loud to her, but they still are in my head, which reminds me that I am still a sick individual. And no matter what recovery I have, I have to be aware that I too will continue to have this disease and I have to keep it in the forefront of my mind that no matter what, um, if I do, if I give in to this and if I don't follow the big book and stay in steps 10, 11, and 12 and, and talk to God on a daily basis and give service that I too will go back into this disease full force and I can't afford that. So anyways, thank you, I pass. Thank you, Esther F. from Ohio. And Kim G. is gonna close us out with the first hour. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, everyone. My name is Kim G. and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And, uh, you know, Russ really kind of nailed it for me. You know, this is when someone asks me about what does frothy emotional appeal mean in the doctor's opinion, this is the paragraph I bring them to, you know, and I like to personalize it just the way Russ did, you know, why don't you put a fat picture on your fridge and that way you won't open the fridge? Why don't you eat diabetic candy? You know, um, don't you want a boyfriend, Kim? You know, doesn't the fear of being a diabetic uh, make you want to stop? Because they're people, what it is, what frothy emotional appeal is, is people looking at me and seeing what the food is doing to me and can't understand why I'm doing it. But me, as the real compulsive overeater, I know what the food is doing for me, and I can't understand why they're not doing it. Because, see, I have a spoiler alert for you guys. You know, moderation does work. Diets do work. If you decrease your calories and you increase your exercise, you are going to lose weight. But what this book is demonstrating and what my experience has told me is I can't do that. You're going to be studying over the next couple of days the moderator and the heavy eater. They're the ones that can moderate. They're the ones that can do the diets. I have to ask myself, am I one of those people? And that's what I like to look at. You know, I am moderate. I am heavy in other areas of my life. So I like to look at areas of my life because a big part of knowing who I am is knowing who I am not. So when I think of people who shop, I, I tend to over shop, especially around Christmas time. Costco is really big in my area and people have a real hard time with Costco. And when someone tells me they're spending too much money at Costco, I have some really good advice. You know, why don't you just write a list and don't buy anything off the list that you put down? Or why don't you set a dollar amount and don't spend anything over that dollar amount? Or if Costco is that difficult for you, just go once a month. Stop going every week. And that makes sense to me because I'm a moderate shopper. Well, let's take these questions and flip it. When someone says to me, Kim, why don't you just write your food down and don't eat off what you wrote down? Or why don't you pick a number of points and don't eat above those points? Or, Kim, if you have such a hard time with pizza, just have pizza once a month. And I look at them as if they have three heads. So these questions are really important for me because when I look at them and I look at them with my shopping, I understand I don't need to go to a 12-step program for my shopping. But when I look at these questions as a real compulsive overeater and I compare myself to the moderate and the, and the heavy eaters who can moderate, 
and can do diets, I come to that conclusion that that is not my truth and that I need a 12-step program because I have the allergy of the body and the mental twist, which means I'm screwed. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim D. from South Jersey. Thank you, everyone, for your participation in this meeting and for the opportunity to be of service. The share ID number for this meeting, Tuesday, December 1st, 2020, 7 a.m. Eastern Time, is 15,889. That's 15889. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Crystal P. please read a vision for you? And could you let us know where you're from, Crystal P.? Hi, good morning. This is uh, Crystal P., Compulsive Overeater from Toronto, Canada. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.